The Daily Tap is live for Monday. It is June 26th. We're talking about the Milwaukee Bucks entering a new era of Bucks basketball. We are also going to talk about why I'm mostly done with Corbin Burns, at least for this year. And then we'll get into a American Family Amphitheater review. Is that Zach Brown? Uh, we'll talk about that. Uh, and just sort of my thoughts. Uh, just was a good show. And, you know, we got to do some fun stuff in the summer. So, yeah, we're going to do a little Zach Brown. Uh, uh, I want to call it the Marcus Amphitheater, but it's the American Family Amphitheater. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, before we get going, just a reminder, social media, Tabby Keg on Twitter, Tabby Keg Sports on Instagram and TikTok. TikTok is rolling. Been having some good TikToks recently. Uh, has not translated as much on Instagram. Instagram has been just a shit show that I don't need to dive into. Uh, we're on Facebook too, at Tabby Keg Sports as well. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcast. If you came in from one of the talks, welcome to the show. I uh, hope you guys are joining us all week. I will let you know scheduling wise, we will do podcasts all week. And well, I have to figure it out because I shouldn't say that. We're not, well, let's let's do scheduling at the end. We'll have a podcast tomorrow. Let's just put it that way. I, I, we'll start it easy. We're one and oh, right? We're gonna have one today. We're gonna have one tomorrow. Uh, so we will start there. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks entering a new era. The Milwaukee Bucks had a good draft. I talked, we talked about it on on Friday's pod. Uh, I feel even better uh, about the Bucks draft. I, I feel great with what the Bucks were able to do. Uh, they had two second round picks. They got a dynamic two way player in Omari Moore, who is number forty four on Sam Vecini's big board. Uh, we went over all those guys on Friday's show. If you somehow missed it, uh, vacation or something else, I totally understand. Go back and listen. Uh, Mitch and I basically were like, Mitch was like, didn't want to draft Andre Jackson, and and you're listening to the pod, and then the Andre Jackson gets taken, and Mitch was a little disappointed, but I think that. As if you think about it more and more, it makes sense because the Bucks are not your older brother's Bucks. This is a new Milwaukee Bucks team. And what the Milwaukee Bucks are trying to do is a different approach. And John Horace made it known in his press conference after the NBA draft. John Horace said this, uh, reported by Eric Name, to give him credit. We're not trying to build a roster like we have in the past. Let's do this little fire drill Morgan and break this up and, and then we'll, we'll go from there. So he's telling you right there that there is no, there's no Mike Budenholzer here. Mike Budenholzer is gone. Mike Budenholzer's influence is not really going to affect what we do with not only our draft, but with also our free agents. That is gone. That is a thing in the past and that everybody is going to have to get on board. He's a different coach. We're going to have a different system. Okay. So that is huge right there, right? Uh, that there's no real Mike Budenholzer influence. I think that is going to be difficult early on. I think this is why that you need to have so much patience as a Bucks fan this year. Uh, we've talked about that a little bit um, on different shows that you're going to need to have a lot of patience in the months of October, the months of November. And then I think by December, you can kind of say, all right, yeah, it's time to go. Like it's time, it's go time. Like around Christmas, the Bucks should have their shit together, barring any injuries or barring any weird shit. And they should be ready to roll as a basketball team, as one of the top tier teams in the NBA. So then it continues. 
there are core non-negotiable things that we're always going to care about and he's very aligned in those things. But we also weigh on his opinions and use his opinions in trying to build this out. Adrian Griffin is having influence on this roster. Adrian Griffin is going to help the Bucs make decisions, such as Brooke Lopez, such as others, on what might happen you know, going forward on, on Milwaukee's roster. Now, I think what's interesting is that he really hasn't had a guy like Giannis. Now, nobody has Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of one. There isn't a guy I think I would compare in the league to Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think it'd be reckless to compare a college kid or a high school kid to Antetokounmpo. I think Wembenyama is going to get it, but you got to remember that Victor Wembenyama is an absolute toothpick compared to Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's like comparing... Uh, like a piece of salary to a big brisket. Like that's basically what we're what we're doing when it comes to Wembenyama and Giannis. And so Griffin will have to work with that. And I, I think that that is going to be his toughest challenge. And maybe the one thing that I have slight hesitation about. Again, I think this was a great draft. I think what the Bucks have started to show a little bit with their with their cards here is that they're building a more athletic, more dynamic more or faster team not more fast uh i can't think more fast would work not more faster right but they're building a faster team uh and i think that's abundantly clear i think the days of unathletic guys are over i do not see that being a part of the bucks repertoire moving forward and i think that's a great sign i think that's everything that we wanted i think that one of the realizations that we had watching the miami heat was that the Milwaukee Bucks were unathletic and that the Milwaukee Bucks were slow and that the Milwaukee Bucks needed to be a little more in terms of the youth movement and and have a balance of veterans, but also young guys who could kind of even that out, especially if they were a little slower, like your Joe Ingles type. So I think those are all, that's a very interesting commentary by John Horst. I think it's a slight shot at Mike Boonholzer. I'll be honest. I, I do not think those comments are, you know, for naught, right? I, I think there is a, hey, this is this is how we're doing it. We're doing it a little bit differently. Uh, and I, I think we I think we need to understand that. So let's continue on with more commentary from John Horst. He came in with when we had the press conference a couple of weeks ago, now really talking about energy and effort and defensive versatility and being able to close out and switch and challenge and things like that. The Milwaukee Bucks are going to be defensive first. Now, Mike Boonholzer had a defense. I think Mike Boonholzer and the Bucks have a lot to do with drop coverage being so popular in the NBA today. No one's ever going to give Bud credit for that because the drop coverage has gave the Bucks issues and parts of the reason why the Bucks didn't win in 2019, why the Bucks didn't win in 2020, why the Bucks didn't win in 2022. Drop coverage is part of that. Mike Boonholzer is like a crackhead with drop coverage, right? He uses it way too much. He doesn't intertwine defenses and that's part of the problem. But, but 2021, they won a championship with drop coverage. And then teams started using it and emulating it and doing more of it. I think the Nuggets have really perfected some of that drop coverage stuff with Jokic. But they weren't defensive first. They were offensive led by Mike Budenholzer's system that was more of a five out, more of a shoot, 
shoot first at or shoot not even shoot first but like shoot at any time a very efficient offense not necessarily taking away the mid-range I mean they there weren't many mid-range guys before Chris Middleton like Chris Middleton kind of forced mid-ranges into Mike Boonholzer's system I think the pure form of Mike Boonholzer's system is all threes and and layups they had a little bit more mid-range there but it was offensive first that is changing with Adrian Griffin and again that that's an interesting angle. That's an interesting thing to think about. Now, remember, Terry Stotts on the staff, who is an offensive mastermind, who does things, I would say, in a similar vein as Mike Bodenholzer. He's not the same guy, right? We're all, we're all different people. But I, I do think that being defensive first is a much more interesting way to think about Bucks basketball because Giannis is an incredible phenom offensively, Right. But somehow, and this could be something you could debate on a random, you know, summer day or when you're kicking it, having beers in the backyard with your boys. I, I almost would argue Giannis is better defensively. Like, if you're really thinking about it, Giannis does so much on the defensive side of the ball. He blocks shots. He challenges everybody at the rim. He can play somebody out at the perimeter. He, he can get back on defense. He has an incredible, you know, incredible flexibility, incredible range, right? I mean, you think about that Aiton play in game four. Uh, to me, one of the more iconic plays in NBA history, I'll be honest. Like, I, I think that play, that play broke my brain, like, in the moment. It breaks my brain when I still watch. That game in general is a wild one to rewatch. I mean, game five, too, because the Suns were so good that night offensively, but the Bucks' big three was just that much better. Uh, but I think that Giannis Antetokounmpo does so much on that defensive side of, the, side of the floor that if you build around Giannis defensively, that could be a really fun team. That could be a team that gets a ton of easy buckets. That's a team that might not need a ton of offense because they're just animals on the defensive side of the ball. That, that to me, is very exciting. It's very alluring. Now, could it make for a, a boring brand of basketball, maybe, where the Bucks are winning 95 to 93? Yeah, potentially. But I, I think we'd all take it if it means a championship. I don't think any of us will give a shit. It, it just will be a different different era, right? Like the, the title says. Uh, and other horse quotes round it up. I don't think it's a mistake that you see what we tried to do in the draft and we're going to try to bring in people into our system and grow them in our system with our new coach. And that's the way we want to play. He's excited about I am for these guys. So John Horse is talking about the draft, right? But he's also got maybe giving a tell about the new the new Bucks. Who will be those free agents? Who are the Bucks looking at for potential trades? I think that's sort of a tell, right? That okay, look at the body types of Andre Jackson. Look at the body type of Chris Chris Levinson. Look at the body type of Amari Moore. And are there guys out there that fit that mold that the Bucs could bring into their roster? What does it mean for the guys on the roster, most notably Brooke Lopez, who's been involved in rumors for the Houston Rockets pretty much since Jump Street. Like since they could, Brooke Lopez has been in rumors to be on the Rockets. And... I do wonder if Brooke Lopez is part of this new system. You know, something Mitch and I discussed on Friday's show a little bit, but to expound, it's it's just it'll be very interesting to see where where it goes with Brooke 
Because you could see a scenario where Brooke and Giannis are still playing together and they're still, you know, showing some of that defensive versatility, but also having Giannis at center and switching everything seems very enticing too. And being a little more on that small ball defense, but not really because Giannis Antetokounmpo is such a massive, you know, power inside. I do wonder though, my, my really the, the fear, the fear I have with getting rid of Brook Lopez. Now, if Brook Lopez gets a bag and there's nothing the Bucks can do and they and someone overpays Brook Lopez, God bless him, take the money, enjoy it, enjoy the final part of your career. Buck for life, should get his number retired, the whole thing. I have I, no qualms about Brook Lopez leaving if he gets overpaid and the Bucks can't match it, all right? But I will say, if the Bucks do decide to not bring him back and it's an affordable deal, and they're saying, all right, we're going to ride with Giannis as our primary rim protector. I think back to most of the 2022 season before Brooke Lopez came back from his back injury and the Bucks' defense really struggled. And Giannis Antetokounmpo, I don't think he really had that great of a year because I think he was exerting so much defensively. And so while he is a great, great defender, like I said earlier, I do wonder if you put him as the anchor does that slow down what Antetokounmpo is doing offensively? And then does that limit you as a basketball team? That would be my chief number one concern, getting rid of Brook Lopez. Now, if Griffin feels like there's a way to mitigate that, if he feels like playing Giannis actually more might help. Remember Giannis you know, played 30 to 32 minutes a game and maybe that was part of it that was impeding him that he couldn't get going as much as he as much as he wanted to offensively, I'm not entirely sure. But I, I do think that you have to consider it if it's a reasonable contract that you're going up against, whether it's from Houston, whether it's from Dallas, Orlando. Uh, I think Charlotte might try, you know, that would be such a cash out move, but who knows, right? There could be another team I'm not thinking about that's going to try to get Brooke Lopez and, jo- and join their team because I think they've seen the value of Lopez. Now, I think there are some in the NBA world that don't know if Lopez can do it with other teams, that it might just be a perfect fit with Milwaukee and nowhere else is going to work. But that some teams don't, don't realize that, right? Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see sort of where A, where Brooke goes and how much interest does the organization have in bringing, bringing Brooke back. I think that's that's the one, right? Is like, are they? Do they have as much interest as the fans do in running it back with Lopez? Also, will will it mean Grayson Allen's traded? Will it mean Bobby Portis's move? Will it mean Pat Content's out? I think those are all questions to ask. I would doubt on Content because he's Giannis's boy, but I think with Bobby and Grayson, yeah, there could be a, a move that happens before free agency, and you could see those guys on the move if. Griffin doesn't feel like they're a part of what he's trying to do. And remember, we talk about defensive first. Those two guys are arguably the worst defenders on the Milwaukee Bucks team. Uh, Bobby, for sure. Uh, Grayson, not great. Uh, Chris Middleton's not really a good defender, so you're asking, well, what about Chris Middleton? I think for that, honestly, is he's had a lot of knee injuries. I think Chris still wants to play defensively. 
I think he cares defensively. I don't think he's just a turnstile. I think Bobby is just a turnstile. I don't think Bobby gives one single fuck about defense. I think Grayson Allen cares too, but I also just don't think he's competitive. He's not competitive. He, he's just not athletic enough to compete at, defensively as much as probably he wants to. And so that's why he gets cooked by a Jason Tatum, a Jimmy Butler of the world. He just can't stay in front of those guys. And that, I mean, that's okay. That's, that's part of it. That's, you know, part why, you know, you're not necessarily, necessarily a top tier guy. And that, that happens. That's, that's life, right? So I, I do wonder if those guys are on the move because they don't necessarily fit in with what, what Griffin's trying to do defensively. It is a new era. And hopefully fans will get on board. Hopefully fans will not have their brains broken. I think so many people saw Andre Jackson and were like, this is such an anti-Bud player. This is not a winning winning guy for the Milwaukee Bucks, which is couldn't be farther from the truth. It's just a different approach to basketball. And we're going to have to get on board with that. We all wanted Mike Budenholzer fired. We all called for it. And now things have changed. You have to adapt to change. I'm not great with change in, per, in my personal life. In my sporting life, I'm a lot better. I, w- I wish the sports fan of me could take the guy who's just hanging out, punch, you know, punching the time clock, working out, doing house shit. I wish that guy was better with change than, than the sports fan. Because it's going to happen with the Bucks, And you, you're going to have to do your damnedest to not overreact starting this week. And I know, I know that that is a, is a lot to ask, but we have to understand that this is a new era and things are going to change and change is a good thing. When you lose in the first round, change is needed. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers did have a good week uh, weekend. They went two and three. They've won six of their last nine games. Uh, the Brewers are a half game back of the red hot Cincinnati Reds. Although the Braves, the Braves did beat them two out of three and now Cincinnati is going to the Baltimore Orioles uh, tonight. But as much as I would like to be positive about the Brewers, because I do think there are some positives to take away from the series and we'll talk about them after, I have to talk about Corbin Burns. I'm out on Corbin Burns for this year. I, I'm not out on Corbin Burns for the rest of his career, but I'm out on Corbin Burns this year's version. Because it's clear that Corbin Burns does not want to take any sort of coaching. Corbin Burns is the most stubborn motherfucker uh, that I've seen this side of Aaron Rodgers. Corbin Burns is doing the same thing over and over again in every game. And the same stuff is happening. And Corbin Burns probably wonders why. And he's not listening to anybody. And it's creating, a, I think, a real divide in what the Brewers are trying to preach with their pitchers. Corbin Burns is defying leadership, defying pitch count. He's doing his own thing. And I couldn't be more out on, on Corbin Burns right now. I just think this guy is really sort of defying logic and saying, all right, my way still works. The way I do it is, is better than what you guys are putting in front of me. And I'll show you how. And yes, he has those good games every now and again, like the Baltimore game where he was on complete fire. But if you remember that Baltimore game, the real ones who actually watched the game, he had a very generous strike zone to the point that it got a manager kicked out of the game. 
But Corbin Burns has a 410 ERA right now. He has a 5.5 overall record, only 89 Ks, and a whip of 1.19. It's not like Corbin Burns is dominating. For the month of June, he has a 468 ERA. It's not pretty right now. He's allowed 19 hits in 25 innings for this entire month and 13 runs. Now, granted, a majority of those came against Arizona, um, but he's he's allowed three or more runs in four, it, four, four, yeah, four of his last five starts. That's bad. That is bad stuff from Corbin Burns. And it seemed like there were moments of turning the corner, whether it was that Baltimore game, whether it was a San Francisco game, where he pitched really well, and then even pitched okay in Cincinnati, where he gave up three runs in that one. But it's just, it's not the same right now. And he needs to suck it up. He needs to realize that, look, I know everything didn't go his way. I realize that he probably wants to be on another roster. I, I, I get it. I wholeheartedly understand. But this is not helping your trade value. How hasn't one of his agents, Scott Boris now being his agent, said to him, hey, Corbin, you got to pitch better for you to, for you to have a market. There will still be people that would want to trade for Corbin Burns in, in July. If Matt Arnold takes phone calls for Corbin Burns, of course he is going to get some bait. Of course there are going to be people that are coming. But they're not going to get the same amount of value for Corbin Burns as they, they would last, last April. Or would they in October, November, December if Corbin Burns figures his shit out and, and becomes awesome again. Because I do think that player still exists. Like, I don't think that Corbin Burns is washed. I don't think that Corbin Burns' Cy Young was a mirage. I think it's simply that Corbin Burns is resistant to change and resistant to trying to do different things in terms of pitching. And it's, it's just not working for him. And he can't admit that to himself. And it's partly probably due to the friction that he has with the organization. It's There's just probably a lot of stuff here that we don't know behind the scenes. But at some point, Corbin Burns has to look at this and say, am I the problem? Like it's the, I forget, Principal Skinner uh, from The Simpsons where he's like, it's, is it me? Am I out of touch, that meme? That's fucking Corbin Burns right now. Not necessarily out of touch, but is it me? Is it my pitch sequence that's wrong? And then, you know, obviously it means like, no, 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 it must be the kids. And so I'm sure that's how Burns it. Uh, no, 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 it, it worked in innings one, six, and four. So because it worked in those three innings, that means I'm still doing the right things. And they can't get through to him because he has a level of, you know, independence. They can't just kind of boss him around. He's, you know, he's his own guy. And I know Wade Miley is an awesome clubhouse guy. I know that part of the reason why the Brewers have had success this year is because of Wade Miley on the field as well as off the field. I hope that Wade Miley's putting his arm around Corbin on the flight to New York and saying, hey, look, you gotta suck it up. I've never been as good as you, but you gotta suck it up. and You gotta start looking at shit a little bit differently because it's not working. And I don't know how much more I can, I can take. I mean, I say that like dramatically, right? But as someone who watches a lot of burn starts, 
it's not like, oh, great, I'm watching Corbin Burns again. You know, Corbin Burns in 2021, Corbin Burns even in parts of 2022, it was must-see TV. It was you had to be in your seat, or if you got a Burns day, a game you're going to, you were fired up for it. Now, it's like, oh, great, Corbin's on the mound, but it's it's not the surefire, all right, we're going to win this baseball game. This this baseball game is, you know, in our in our clutches. He's a different pitcher right now. And until Corbin Burns kind of realizes that he is, we're going to go through the same cycle and he will not get traded because there will be no trade value for him. I think that's the, that's the other part. You know, and that can't come from a, play, a teammate. That has to come from his agency and his agency has to tell him, you have to start pitching better. And it's like, well, I, I, I feel like I'm doing everything right. It's like, well, talk to the coaches, figure it out. We'll, we'll sort of see. I think the Brewers have done a very good job of keeping everything above, above board, not necessarily saying it, but you know that Burns' performance, Burns' attitude towards all of this is frustrating the hell out of him. Enough negativity for what was a pretty positive weekend for the Brewers. I mean, they, they went two out of three against the Guardians, two and one, two start their road trip, as I mentioned, six and nine overall. Just some quick sort of hot takes about each of the games, Friday night, Willie Adamas show, you know, he had five RBIs, he had two home runs. It really sort of seemed like Willie Adamas was revived. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, he broke out of his slump. Great, great. And then he went 0 for 8 the rest of the weekend. I'll say something nice here um, since I've already been negative for the first part of this Brewer segment. I think as long as Willie can do this once every three or four games and just really have an awesome sort of outing, and have you know the three keg game, I think that will work. Like I, I think I can deal with that. I can compromise to that. But I like to see Willie red fucking hot, absolutely. But if it's if all we're getting is one every three or one every four, I can live with that. Not one every like six weeks. Like the last time I remember Willie Thomas being red hot in a game was the Giants game that he had, you know, in in, in May. Now I don't know, maybe. All the stuff we get hit by the baseball has kind of affected his confidence a little bit at the plate. That he's scared he's going to get hit again. I don't know. Uh, but it's good to see at least a little bit of a a breakout there. A breakout's lurking potentially. Wade Miley, excellent in that game too. Six innings, no runs allowed, three strikeouts. He's now had 11 innings of work um, in the two starts since coming back from that lat injury without a line run. Miley was only at 67 pitches, had a cramp. Uh, he said it was embarrassing after the game, which it should be, right? Like he, he's like, I thought I was hydrating. Obviously wasn't. Uh, Miley could have went for a while in this game. And that's, I guess, one of the bummers of the weekend is had Miley been able to continue to pitch, that's probably at least eight innings. You're probably preserving most of your bullpen. Uh, and that that's a huge sort of win. Saturday's game, ah, man, I just a complete and utter mess. Uh, the Brewers, you know, collide into each other in the outfield, leading to leading to a run uh, that was that was awful, uh, allowing a run in. Uh, Freddie was okay, but he should never came out in the sixth inning. A bizarre Craig Council decision. The Brewers were up two to one. They bring in Freddie and immediately gets runners on and Hobie Miller cannot bail, bail him out, uh, gives up the runs and the Guardians were able to take a 3-2 lead. Then they get the 
the the extra run in the eighth, and that that's all she wrote. Uh, the Brewers also did nothing offensively. They had five hits total. They only had one extra base hit in that game. Uh, not good stuff. Another sort of iffy performance for Freddie, who has not been good this year, um, and it's it's been a mess for Peralta, and, and that's another guy where he hasn't necessarily turned the corner. And you just think, how is this team still in the hunt with Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns being as bad as they are? And then today, I mean, yes, the Corbin Burns thing was bad, but the Brewers' offense was solid. I mean, you got five runs. They're always good when they get to that four-run part. And, you know, if other than Burns, everybody else pitched great. Piamis went for two innings, uh, got a, out of an awesome jam in the eighth inning where it was a strike him out, throw him out. Devin Williams pitched well in the in the ninth to kind of hold the tide. And then Elvis Pagaro got his first save. And I really wonder if Elvis Pagaro could be an eighth inning guy. I'm not sure he's ready for it, but I'm starting to think more and more that Pagaro could be that. And remember, he came in the Renfro trade. That's, that's so forgotten in all of this. But the Brewers really had one big inning. It was the third inning where they got three runs. They ended up getting another run in the fourth. Uh, and after Cleveland had came back, Owen Miller gets the double in the 10th. Owen Miller had two RBIs in this game uh, really saw, and two doubles as well. So maybe Owen Miller is getting a little bit of a revival. Interesting that they hit him second in the order. Uh, it seems like Adamas is out of that second spot. Adamas, as mentioned, you know, struggled today and didn't really do much. But yeah, the Brewers are still sort of looking for that offense. I said to my dad, uh, I really think this is a make or break trip for so many guys. I know Sal Freelick, you know, hit a ball off his knee that was similar to Yelich. He didn't go on the IL or anything. He seems to be okay. Uh, but if if he's ready to go, I think he's up for the for the Fourth of July series against the Cubs. Like I think Sal and Casting here are both. If there's not improvement from Jesse Winker, if there's not improvement from a Luis Urias, I think that you will have you have those guys up and those guys will be ready to play and hopefully provide an offensive fire, offensive spark because the Brewers sure as fuck need it. Uh, now they go play the Mets. The Mets are, man, in such a bad spot. They they had a 6-3 lead, was looking like they were going to win the series against the Philadelphia Phillies, and they give up four runs in the in the eighth inning. It was a comedy of errors. The Mets now 35-42. and 42. Uh, Justin Verlander getting the ball for the New York Mets tonight against Colin Ray. A very, very large pitching uh, mismatch. Uh, Colin Ray has, you know, he's Colin Ray. Uh, I, I've, I was more of an Adrian Hauser guy than a Colin Ray guy. Uh, so I personally would have preferred Hauser to stay in the rotation. Uh, we'll see if Colin Ray is able, up for the task against Verlander. I'm not putting any eggs in that basket. None at all. Uh, if I weren't a Brewer fan... I think I'd be hammering uh, the Mets, Mets run line or the Mets minus like 170, I think what the number is tonight. Because yeah, I, I do not feel good about this one. This is one where total house money, you win it, that's such a good win. Uh, if you lose, no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be crying over spilled milk. Uh, Verlander has been very up and down this season so far, uh, definitely showing a little bit of his age, but still, uh, it's Justin Verlander. First freaking Colin Wright. Justin Verlander also, people forget, no hitter against the Brewers. I, I actually, that's one real quick. Uh, I, I still remember where I was for that. I didn't watch the game. I was working for Office Max, and I think, I can't remember if I looked at my phone or, because I didn't have, a, I don't think I had a smartphone at that time. 
I think, and I would get like text updates about the Brewers, and it was like Brewers lost ten nothing, and then I, and yeah, I think that was it. I get, I used to get text updates of the Brewers final score because I didn't have a smartphone, and I got like it was like the Brewers lost ten nothing or something like that, and then I go in the car and I turn on the the game had just ended and it was like Justin Verlander throws a no hitter against the Brewers or it was like a news update. And I'm like, oh my god. Uh, so yeah, never saw that thankfully, uh, but yeah, that 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 will always stick with me uh, when you're thinking about the Brewers and Verlander. Also face Scherzer at the end of this, uh, so it should be an interesting four game test for the Brewers as it seems like the Mets are on the doorstep of things being over for them and them surprisingly being sellers uh, for the July deadline. Wrapping up today's show with a mark. American Family Amphitheater Review. Uh, I almost said Marcus Amphitheater. I went to see Zach Brown Band on Friday night. Uh, my buddy Eric and his wife and my wife. And it was a great time. I, I had a lot of fun. Uh, I haven't been at the amphitheater, I think, since seeing Future, Big Sean, and Migos uh, with Murph and Mitch. And it was an unbelievable night. We had a great time. And I was like... Five years ago uh, now, which crazy. It's been that long. Uh, but yeah, I hadn't really had any sort of motivation to go. Eric mentioned he wanted to see Zach Brown. I was like, yeah, I, I actually know more Zach Brown than I thought I did. Like I played a bunch, you know, when I was working on Friday and I was like, oh man, I know this song. I know that song. And yeah, it was great. It was a, it was a really good show. He's a great live performer. Uh, definitely someone that if you like country music and you haven't seen him live, I would recommend it. I uh, thought he... He did a great job uh, in terms of their, you know, what what they were, not necessarily what they were playing, but just the energy they brought. I mean, they played for two hours. It's really, really solid. Uh, the only, my only real complaint about the concert itself was just there was no consistency with what Zach Brown was playing. Like, it, this set list just was all over the place. Like, and for one, he'd play some island jams, and then he'd go into a cover, and then he'd go into like crooning. Like all of it was good. Like don't get me wrong. Like he did this Bohemian Rhapsody cover that was great. Uh, he did a sabotage. He did a Devil Went Down the Door. Like it was all over in terms of the covers too. But what I realized uh, was that this is only his second uh, tour stop. Uh, this is the second tour stop, and I think he was just trying shit out. I think he was just seeing what works. What do people respond to? What do people don't? I would imagine that his set list is a little different, you know, halfway through, halfway through the tour where it's like, all right, now we've figured out, you know, kind of the flow, how we want to do this. And maybe that's just how Zach Brown is because Zach Brown has a very diverse catalog. It's not the same type of music every, every time out. That's, I think, what makes him unique. Uh, so yeah, I, I really... I enjoyed it. Uh, just, I wish there was a little more consistency. I wish that, like, we knew, like, okay, we're going into deep blues time. It's time to hit hit the bathroom and get a beer and everything else. Uh, I was in the grass. That was the first time I've been in the grass, I think, since 2011 for a Kanye show, which was one of my favorite shows of all time. Definitely, like, way up there in terms of the Summerfest memories, which I should do uh, for a pod. Maybe I'll do that for tomorrow. I saw Visit Milwaukee had that. And I had a laundry list. And I'll just go for a bit here. I'm going to do some Summerfest stuff with Shannon later this week if he's available, uh, which I have to check on. But uh, I, I think that the 
like that. They're I, oh yeah. I'm sorry. I was I was like, what was I just thought? Yeah, the grass grass is is not as big as I think it was. I think there was more grass seats before they renovated, and so they've kind of scaled back the grass a little bit, which is totally understandable, right? It's general admission. You still could see the show. You have no problem with the show. There was people competitive about grass seats. Like my wife and my buddy's wife sat down and this lady's like, oh no, I've reserved those spots. And there was no shoes. There was no blanket, nothing. And I'm like, what the fuck do you mean? Now, I'm actually glad that they didn't sit down there because there was really no spot for my buddy and I. So that would have been, that would have been a problem. Uh, but yeah, I, there were no real issues. Nobody was like super drunk falling into us. Nobody was, you know, trying to, you know, crowd into our space. And maybe that's because it wasn't necessarily sold out. Maybe it was a few short of a sellout and that was part of it. Or maybe it was just that it was a crowd that was just enjoying the moment and just enjoying, you know, sort of being in their own little zone. And so, yeah, it, the beers were solid. Uh, they did 24 ounce silos and man, those get to you quick because it, it was a beautiful night. Like could not ask for a better summer fest night. Like wasn't too cold, wasn't too hot, obviously. It was just perfect, like ideal weather conditions, what you exactly want. So of course the beers are going down smooth and you're just pounding these silos. And it's not, they're easy. Like even though they're big beers, they're easy to drink because obviously it's Miller Lite, it's summertime, it's, it's everything, it's everything that you want. And one of the things I did was, I, so we had got beer and then I needed food. Like I had an eight. And I was like, I need, I just need something. Like I, I need something to tie me over. And this guy was moving so fucking slow. And I got into the wrong line, hand up, that's on me. But this guy was just taking his sweet ass time. And then this asshole didn't even give me what, the meal I wanted. I wanted just a, a chicken strip sandwich. Shout out the stripper sandwich, Buzzies, the real ones, no. Uh, and that's all I wanted. And then I got tenders and fries but I also got another beer. <laughs> so as a, as a friend of mine said, when I asked if they were doing anything on Saturday, the boots were full. Like we were, we were feeling good, man. Uh, also Simply Spike Lemonade, uh, big fan of that. Uh, that. That actually very good in the seltzer category. Only problem there, high in calories. Don't need 170 calories. That's just, a, that's too much. I need to see if they have a light one available, but did like that, uh, was was in on that uh, as well. So yeah, I mean, all in all, man, I, I recommend getting to a show at the amphitheater. I think, you know, I, I'm sure Seated was good too. I, I have to imagine. Uh, it, it's it's just a great venue. It's, it's a kind of underrated. I think the cool thing about the grass is you can just see everybody and just see sort of, and you see the hone and people are driving over it. You can see the sun sort of setting. And it, I actually think it's more fun when it's pitch black there because it's dark. Like you obviously have the stage lights, but it's dark in there. And it makes it even, I think, more cool, more immersive uh, than, it, than it is in, in sort of the twilight, if you will. So yeah, try to get out there. I actually would love to get out there for Zach Bryan on the 7th. I, I kind of looked at, at seats and I, I don't think there's much available. I might try when I'm uploading the podcast, see what the grass would cost me. Because uh, I, I very much enjoyed him. I Like every other millennial man. Actually, I think he's more Gen Z at this point. 
But uh, yeah, big fan. Um, I feel like yeah, maybe it's a, a little younger of a crowd at Zach Bryan, but I believe that show is sold out. So I don't know if I'm gonna be able to land myself grass seats, but if I can, I'm, your boy might be there. We gotta support, gotta support Shea Ken first though. Like Shea Ken comes first um, on that Friday, so check him out. Think, think we're doing a pod this week about a little more Summerfest stuff, so we'll stay tuned for that. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk free agency and other, other fun stuff. Uh, as for the schedule for this week, I realize that it's, it's kind of, it's going to be an interesting one. I will tell you that there's a podcast tomorrow, but I have to figure out how this will work because Mitch and I are going to do one on Saturday. So Saturday morning, free agency happens 5 PM Friday night. So we won't do one Friday night, but we will do one Saturday morning. I don't know if we're going to do it in person, him and I both, or we're just going to get on the zoom at 9 AM or 10 AM and do the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Um, we are, so that will happen. So you'll have like a instant free agency reaction with whatever happened with the box. If Mark Lopez signed somewhere, if he re-signed, if other things happen, like Giannis signs his extension. I don't think he can. I actually don't know the date, but it's very suspicious that Giannis Antetokounmpo's new Zoom freak is called Keep It A Buck. Um, I feel like that's a, a bit of a tell if you will. Uh, so stay tuned there. Uh, but yeah, we're going to definitely do a podcast on Saturday. And then I, I think for next week, uh, we'll do we'll do one on Sunday if there's reason to. Um, if there's not, uh, we will probably lay low until Wednesday. We'll take the, you know, the long, long break. But if there is reason to to do the pod on on Monday, we will we'll, we'll be there. We will definitely be there for the people. All right. Take care of yourself. Have a great Monday. Enjoy the Monday. I know it's going to be a little rainy here locally, but still enjoy it. Uh, and we'll be back tomorrow and we'll uh, talk about more stuff. Hopefully, maybe some trades, maybe some other things. Maybe we'll do a little Packers since we didn't do any Packers today. Maybe maybe we'll have a, uh, a Packer topic. I didn't want to do, is Jordan Love hanging out with Deshaun Watson a bad thing? Your call's next. Uh, but I, I won't put it past any of the local radio stations to do that today. All right. See you guys. Take care. Have a good one. Bye.